Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Tactical Yanks podcast, your podcast for soccer in America and around the world. I'm your co-host, Pete Douthit, and I am joined by my fellow co-host, Filippo Silva, and welcome to the Tactical Yanks podcast. Hopefully you enjoy. We'll be talking about U.S. soccer, European soccer, South American soccer, the World Cup, and much more. All right, guys, welcome back to episode 52 of the Tactical Yanks podcast. The under-20 World Cup draw has been made, Tack. How are we feeling? Uh, what you mean about the World Cup or myself? Well, you're not feeling great. You, you might have COVID again. Yeah, I might have COVID again, probably the third time. That That's a hat trick, but I'm doing okay. It wasn't bad. It, it looks like it gets like less worse over time, but I'm just a bit sleepy, but I did go through the groups and I'm I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good about this U20 World Cup. I like the group we landed. I like the circumstances that lead to the knockout rounds. And I do think it's regardless of what happens, it's a good test for this young generation, right? We succeeded in CONCACAF, which means almost nothing. It's like the bare minimum. And now they're going to be tested in a group that I don't feel good about this group because it's easy because it's not easy. Ecuador is a very strong team and they're they've been rising over the years more and more with their youth. And Slovakia is no pushover. Fiji might be, but the other one isn't. But we'll go through the groups and we'll go through the circumstances of what we have to do to go through and who we might face. But I'm feeling good about it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it could have been a lot worse. That's the thing. When you look at the other teams that we could have ended up facing, I think we got a relatively easy group. So like you said, we have Ecuador, Fiji, and Slovakia in Group B. What's interesting is it's very hard to not get out of this group because obviously the top two go through. And three out of the six groups, four, four, four out of the six groups, the top, the third place teams go through. Yeah. And, and, and here's the thing we have Fiji in our group and no offense to Fiji. If you're from Fiji and you're listening to this, even though I don't think anyone from Fiji is listening to this podcast, they're a team that you would expect the United States, Ecuador and Slovakia to trash, right? Get four or five goals. And if you get a big goal differential, and you get three points and you finish in third place, you're very likely to be in the top four third place teams. So essentially what the United States needs to go through is get a big win against Fiji, which is expected, right? Three, four, five goals. And all we would need is a draw against Ecuador, Slovakia. One of them. Forget one draw. We are most certainly going to be a top four third place. So we'll go through to the next round. Obviously, you want to qualify in second or first. But the bare minimum is to get out of our group. And so the odds of us going through to the round of 16 is very high. Very, we very have high. To go through. It's failure have to not go through. Major failure. If we don't get out of this group, that is a failure. And honestly, Mikey Vara should probably be fired. Like, that's how bad that would be, honestly. Do you want me to go through the groups in general so everyone can know? I, I'll, I'll do that. I'll do that. Um, yeah, let's so, go through the groups. So group A has Argentina, the host nation, which, by the way, Argentina didn't really qualify. Didn't qualify. No, they right. didn't qualify in South America, right? Comebol's tough. And Argentina, I believe Mascherano is actually the coach, and maybe he still is the coach of the U-20s. And they didn't qualify, despite them having a lot of talent. Obviously, they were missing a lot of players. I'm expecting maybe Garnacho from Manchester United to be in this World Cup uh, if he's released. And I think he will be. That's what they're saying in Argentina. And then they land in a group with Uzbekistan, Guatemala and New Zealand. So Argentina was handed a cupcake group, right? We talk about Camp Cupcake. This is an easy group, and Argentina should finish first. Who would finish second? Looking at Guatemala here from CONCACAF, Pete, I kind of like their odds. 
Yeah, I like their odds too. We don't know what New Zealand and Uzbekistan's under-20 teams look like, but I think Uzbekistan could be difficult, right? These Eastern European sort of former Soviet uh, states always have tough players. Even if they aren't the most skillful players, they're usually big. They're usually oversized for their age. They're very aggressive, very fit. They, they're difficult teams to play against. So I actually think Uzbekistan could challenge there. But you just don't know. We don't know exactly what these under... I'm going to do a video this week about our group, but we don't really know. But it's weird that Argentina doesn't qualify and then pretty much gets handed a knockout spot at the under-20 World Cup. Yeah, but isn't Uzbekistan... They qualify through Asia, don't they? Yeah, they play in Asia. They play in Asia, yeah. Yeah, Argentina... Um, I mean, I, I wouldn't say it was rigged to get them there. There were, like, political issues with Indonesia that led to Indonesia losing their host privilege, right, or being the host, and Indonesia's not playing this World Cup. And then I guess FIFA picked um, Argentina for whatever reason. Um, maybe it's because they have the stadiums ready for a tournament like this. Maybe it's because they wanted the current World Cup champions in the U-20s. Who knows, right? Yeah, um, but from a U.S. perspective, this is really good because if it was in Indonesia, the timings were going to be like at 3 a.m. So we actually, it benefits us now to have it in a near time zone where we can actually watch and enjoy the games and we're not having to get up at two or three in the morning. Yeah, I also think that, I don't know much about Indonesia, but in Argentina, I can see a lot of these games packing. I can see Argentina fans packing the stadiums, right? Very passionate fan base. They're very hyped. They just won a World Cup. Um, I can see it happening. Uh, I think it benefits most. Um, no offense to Indonesia. I just think it benefits everyone. But going through to Group B, Group B is the United States, right? The United States landed Group B with Ecuador, which has a very strong team. Yeah. And if they do bring their superstar prospect, 15-year-old Kendri Paez, that's probably the player to watch that everyone's going to enjoy watching this group stage. He's a lefty attacking midfielder slash winger. Uh, I've watched him a few times, and, and he kind of – if you watch him, he kind of reminds us a little bit of um, Anjo Di Maria, a yeah. little bit. Uh, but he's a brilliant player, set-piece specialist, and major prospect that's heading to Chelsea, actually, already. At age 15, they're already signing him for, like, $20 million. Uh, and then you got Fiji, which I think it – is it Fiji or is it Fiji Islands? Is that – I think the official name is Fiji Islands, but they just call it Fiji. Okay, and, and, and we don't know much about them, but it's just more of a fair assumption that they're probably going to be the punching bag of this group. I hope I'm right. And then you got Slovakia, which is a very strong UEFA team. Uh, nevertheless, we kind of talked about this, Pete. Uh, the bare minimum is getting out of this group. If you get, you beat Fiji and you tie Ecuador Slovakia, you're through. Obviously, yeah. we want to get at least six points to get like second or first, but th there's no way we don't get through, right? I mean, I'd say 99%, unless we have a, some catastrophic disaster. You know, maybe we get thrashed by Ecuador and then that affects our confidence in the second game and we only squeak past Fiji, you know, I mean, I would be very surprised, but like I said, that would be a huge failure to not get out of this group. We, we have to expect better than that. Yeah. And then going on to group C group C has Senegal, Japan, Israel, and Colombia, which is a fairly balanced group with some fairly balanced group with good teams here. I don't know much yeah. about Israel, but Senegal, African nations are always competitive in these tournaments. Japan has been doing a great job with youth development. They're probably yeah. going to bring a strong team. Colombia yeah. has plenty of talent. Uh, I mean, Israel got out of UEFA, so I'm going to assume they're at least decent. So this looks like a pretty balanced and strong group. Yeah, I think any of these could get out. 
but I think Japan's probably the front runner to win this group. Senegal as well, the top two, but it's yeah. hard to say it's about, you know, who gets released, who ends up going under 20 is a weird balance because you want guys who are playing well and are contributing to their teams, but not too well that they don't get released. And that's actually going to be a problem for some of our guys, which maybe we can talk about a little bit too. Right. Uh, a lot of, it depends for us who gets released key players like Jalen Neal, Caleb Wiley, um, Paxton Aronson, uh, what's his name? Uh, Kevin Paredes. These are guys who are playing regular minutes for their teams and may or may not get released, especially some of the MLS teams, because for the European teams, it's like, okay, they might miss the last two games of the season, but for Paxton and Kevin, I mean, Kevin Paredes is injured. He's supposed to be back mid may. So he may not, may not even be back in time for this world cup, mm. but for guys like Neil and Wiley, I do think it's going to be, a negotiation with MLS clubs. And I'll talk more about this on video this coming week, but we need to have a conversation with these MLS clubs and not threaten them, but just say, listen, here's the situation. We like this kid. He's playing regularly for you. We understand that we're going to use him at some point this summer, but right now we think the best tournament for him to be at would be the under 20 world cup. If they say, no, we don't want to release him for the under-20 World Cup, we should say, okay, that's fine, but you have to understand, if you don't release him, we'll probably call him up for the Gold Cup, uh, which is a longer tournament. We're more likely to go to the final, so you're talking about three weeks off, whereas this will actually be shorter, a shorter tournament if they release him for the under-20 World Cup. So you don't threaten them, but you just say, we want him this summer for one of the tournaments. We'd like that to be the under-20s. If you don't want to release him for the under-20s, okay, that's your right. We'll probably call them up for the Gold Cup then. So that's how well, I see it. I also think these teams in MLS need to see the long-term outlook of this. A good U20 World Cup values the U.S. market better. There's a lot of scouts in this tournament. You can sell these players for millions of dollars, and you become a more reliable market that over the years you can charge higher transfer fees to sell your players. And when someone asks, what do you mean about that? Well, look at Brazil, right? They'll get a prospect that hasn't played a professional game, and then a European club wants to buy him, and they say, hey, you got to pay $30 million. It's like, but he never played. doesn't matter. We're a proven market. You want to pay that? You want him? You pay that. The U.S. ain't there yet. And I'm not saying we're ever going to be at the Brazil level, but what I'm saying is our market is gaining some prestige abroad, and these tournaments help. And there's a lot yeah. of scouts that go there. So looking from a long-term perspective – the league should care because that's a way to make money selling players to richer leagues or leagues that are willing to pay big transfer fees. So you should release them. Plus, um, the player itself, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for these players. Uh, while MLS regular season games, most of them are meaningless. No offense. So No, I agree. And it's doing right by the, by the player, right? Yeah, they might be getting regular minutes with you, but they dream of going to an under-20 World Cup. And I'm sorry, if you can't do without a Caleb Wiley or Jalen Neal, for two or three weeks and when nine teams in your conference make the playoff then your problem that's not really your problem you know um, didn't we I, hear that caleb wiley will be released wasn't there something that's like what that? the rumors was that yes he would be and i hope so i think we're going to need him especially if paredes is not fit in time it, then we have to get caleb wiley because otherwise it's just jonathan gomez and maybe kate cowell down the left kate cowell is also banned for ecuador and fiji Right. So we don't actually have a lot of guys down the left. Maybe Caden Clark can play there, but you'll end up if Paredes is injured still and Wiley doesn't get released, it'll be probably Gomez and Clark on that left hand side, which it's not as good. Let's be honest. Like Wiley and Paredes is our two best attacking players right now, a left back, left sided players. So I really hope Paredes recovers in time. 
And I hope Wiley gets released. But yeah, the same applies for guys like Jalen Neal. I think other guys who aren't playing as much, Paxson Aronson could be an interesting one because now Frankfurt is starting to use him. The last two games, he played a good half an hour, including don't release Gordon. him, Pete. Don't release uh, you him. You think so? Yeah, they'll release him. Uh, they're giving him minutes, and that's great, but uh, it's not crucial. I think they're just starting to just integrate him a bit more because Kamada is leaving, and he'll probably right. have a bench role next season. But like if they, if, if he goes to the U20 World Cup, I think he'll be out for the last two rounds only yeah. of the Bundesliga. It won't matter. They'll, they'll release Paxton for sure. They, they've they been releasing him for every camp, remember? They released yeah. him now, so I don't think that would be a problem. Same thing with Kevin Paredes. They've been releasing him. Paredes, the main issue is the injury. Is he going to be yeah. back or not? My main concern, the ones you mentioned here in MLS, like Jalen Neal for the Galaxy, Caleb Wiley, um, Brian Gutierrez, guys that are playing in Major League Soccer, that is my biggest concern. Yeah, these guys in Europe, not so much. Um, yeah, not really. Other guys like Brandon Craig, who's not playing. Jack McGlynn is playing, but he's not a starter. Philly's been pretty good about releasing their players. So I think Quinn Sullivan, Brandon Craig, and Jack McGlynn will all get released. Gabby Slonina will probably start in goal. I don't think they're going to release Chris Brady, the fire, honestly. Um, I, even Gutierrez, I'd be very surprised if they release him. And if they don't, then we should call him up for the Gold Cup because he's been playing really well for the fire this year, and he's still just 19. So Gutierrez is a guy I really want there as well. Then you've got Al Alvarado's not playing much at Vizela. He'll get released. Luna's a bench player for RSL. He should be released. Danny Edelman starts for the Red Bulls, but honestly, come on. like These guys should all get released. Cuevas is still in, in uh, the academy over in... Um, in uh, Brugge. And yeah. then you've got Che, who's not playing for Hoffenheim, so we shouldn't have a problem really getting him released. Winder, I think we'll get Winder as well if if they want to bring him. Because if you don't, I mean, it depends. If you get Craig and Neil and then Winder, those will probably be the three center backs. And then Che can double up as a right back or a center back. That's mm -hmm. kind of how I see that panning out. Um, other midfielders, Caden Clark should get released. He's not playing at all at Leipzig, so that shouldn't be a problem. Uh, and then we have to decide up front, are we going to play Paxson Aronson as a false nine like we did in the CONCACAF championships? Do we maybe try Quinn Sullivan there? Does Darren Yappy get a call up from Colorado? I do think you can't just have Aronson because if you just have Aronson as the only guy who plays the nine, you're kind of trapped. If he goes down injured, you have nobody who can play the nine. Convince Pepe to go. I'm joking. <laughs> no. Um but, Pete, let me go through here the other groups so we can finalize this. Group D is probably the toughest group of them all, and I feel, back, feel bad for the Dominican Republic. Group D has Italy, Brazil, Nigeria, which all three are probably title contenders, and then the Dominican Republic. So I think it's safe to assume that Brazil, Italy, and Nigeria are going to battle for those top three spots that can go either way. Dominican Republic, good luck. Right. Yeah, I, I wouldn't want to be in their position. Uh, but then Group E, you have Uruguay, Iraq, England, and Tunisia. It does sound like Uruguay, England, and Tunisia would be the top three. I don't know much about Iraq. Um, Uruguay is always tricky. England has good youth players, of course. Their development has improved. And Tunisia is always one of those tough teams to play from Africa. Um, they were. They What's were, interesting they is England has the under twenty one Euros this summer, so that might actually impact some players that are eligible for both under 21s and under 20s. They might send their best players to the under 21s, but they're going to have to divide a little bit because they have two tournaments going on simultaneously. Yeah, they still have enough depth, I'm assuming, with it, but that could spread them a bit too thin. 
Um, group F, you have France, South Korea, Gambia, and Honduras. And talking about the CONCACAF nation here, Honduras, I kind of like their odds here. I think they have a reasonable shot of finishing second or third place here. Yeah, uh, I agree. And then just to wrap things up here, just so everyone can understand, if the United States wins Group B, we will be facing the third-placed team from Group A, C, or D. So Group A, C, or D. D is the one with Italy, Brazil, Nigeria. Group A is the one with Argentina. So the third-placed team of Group A will probably be weak. It'll be Uzbekistan, Guatemala, or New Zealand, right? And what's the other group that I said? Group um, A, C, and D. And then Group C would be the one with Senegal, Japan, Israel, and Colombia. That's a tough group. Now, if we finish in, what is it, in second place of Group B, we will finish the second place team of Group F. And that's probably the best scenario here because we'll probably be facing South Korea, Gambia, or Honduras. Um, all beatable yeah. opponents. Essentially, yeah. what I'm saying is if we finish first or second, the odds of us making it to the quarterfinals is fairly reasonable. Very reasonable. Now, yeah. if we finish in third place, it'll be tough because if we finish in third place, we're going to have to play... Um, trying to find here. We're going to have to play the winner of Group C, which then would make it Senegal, Japan, Israel, Colombia. Actually, it's also reasonable. Senegal, Japan, Colombia. Tough, Probably though. not tough teams. Tough. But not impossible, right? It's not like no. the thing with these tournaments is even when you play in Argentina and Brazil, this is not the Argentina and Brazil from you know the senior squad. They will be missing many U20 players. Like I know for a fact that Hendrik's not going to be released by Palmeiras. We know that. Right. Right. So they will be missing key players. So this is not like we're facing Brazil, Argentina from like Messi, Neymar, and Vinicius. It's not the best. So it can be tricky, these tournaments. You could see Brazil finish third in their group, and it won't be a surprise. Um, so I, I like our chances here. I like the draw. I like how we're set up. If we bring our best players, I think a quarterfinals run is a reasonable achievement. Semifinals would be quite remarkable. But I think quarterfinals would be amazing. quite possible. Yeah. Um, we have to remember, we have made it to the quarterfinals of all three last under 20 World Cups, right? Last time we lost to Ecuador in the quarterfinal after beating France in the second round. That was in 2019. They skipped the latest one because of COVID. In 2017, we lost to Serbia on penalties. Serbia was the eventual champions of that World Cup. So losing to them on penalties is not terrible. And then in 2015, I, I don't remember who we lost to, but we did make it to the quarterfinals. So that's the goal for this one, if anyone asks. Quarterfinals yeah. again, and hopefully, if depending on how things go, let's try to go for a semifinal run. Uh, it's not unreasonable. But before we continue, a quick word from our sponsor here, uh, DraftKings. It's NBA playoffs time, and that means big hoops action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Get in the excitement of every game with the touch of a button. New customers can make can make a $5 pre-game money line bet and score $150 in bonus bets if their team wins. All you have to do right now is download the app and use the code THPN. That is THPN. The code has changed. New customers can make $5 pre-game money line bet and score $150 in bonus bet if their team wins. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with the code THPN. PN. Thank you once again, DraftKings. Thanks for sponsoring the podcast. And don't forget to use the code THPN. You'll be helping the podcast in the process, and you can drop a review as well. 
Okay, Pete, what are the other topics to wrap things up today? Congratulations to Wrexham on getting promoted back into the football league. They were in non-league football. Um, they won their game on the weekend and they topped the, they finished top of the league. So congratulations to them. Absolute scenes over at uh, the race course grounds. I believe it's called Rob McEnany and Ryan Reynolds in attendance. They had a pitch invasion, wild, wild scenes, the emotion, the, they really captured the imaginations of the world and especially in America too. Right. And First of all, great job to both Rob and Ryan, great owners, very invested, caring a lot about the town. They've rejuvenated not only the club, but this whole town. And it's just been an amazing story. Season two on Hulu is going to be epic. Season two of Welcome to Wrexham. A few spoiler alerts there, obviously, but what a season that's going to be. But I think what's most interesting about this is it's reignited once again, the pro-rel debate, because this is not as cool a story without pro-rel, right? If, if it was just oh, we're trying to win the league. It'd be kind of nice. Oh, it's cool. We won the league. It's not the same thing, is it? Because now that they're in league two, and, and, and you saw this in season one, the CEO of the club was telling them, once you get into league two, that's where you start making your money back because you're in the football league. So those payments that trickle down from the Premier League are, are distributed throughout a lot of clubs. So now you're able to invest more in the team and you just have more of a solid financial footing. Plus you're in the professional leagues again, right? You're back in the, the league pyramid. You're not in non-league anymore. So it's reignited a debate, right? And as always, the pro-rel debate on Twitter is fierce, right? You have some people who advocate strongly for it. I think you and I are in that group. You have people who advocate against it. And then you have a very strange third group that doesn't even want to talk about it. That's, I think, listen, the pro-rel debate, there's back and forth. And there's, you know, everybody's got an opinion and I have no problem with people who are against pro-rel, making their arguments for it, whatever. I'll disagree with you, but you're, you know, certainly within your right. Then you have a group of people who say, we shouldn't even talk about it because it will never happen. Just shut up and stop talking about it. You people are strange, strange people in America to debate anything at all, right? That's especially something as like, you know, non-offensive as pro-rel for the U.S. is, it's absurd. The discussion should always be open and available to the debate, you know, and whether or not you think it will ever happen or it will never happen is not the point. People should be allowed to discuss the pros and cons of it freely. So anybody, if your instinct is to go stop talking about it, I can't take you seriously. I'm sorry. If you're that scared that you don't even want people talking about it, then there's something wrong with you because this debate is a good debate wherever you fall on it. And it should be an open table discussion for everybody to be able to ch chip in with their thoughts. Yeah, I also think that what happens with pro-rel in the U.S. is you would create more storylines. Like you just talked about Rex. And I'm not going to dive into the actual soccer benefits of it, right, of player development and having more clubs and expanding the soccer culture. But you talk about storylines. MLS, very often, it's hard. And I'm not going to go too much into this. I feel like we talk way too much about it. We can do another episode specific towards this. We talk a lot about how MLS, it's like you can go to a game and enjoy it, but there's nothing that you care. No one cares. No uh, I mean, some. Uh, OK, no one cares might be too harsh. Some fans are diehards and they do care, but it's very hard to bring in new people in. Um, I don't know. I, I've been talking about this for way too long. I follow Orlando City, but 
when they win, I'm like, yeah, cool. When they lose, I'm like, okay, that kind of sucks. The team's not playing well, but it doesn't matter too much. And I, I don't know. I don't feel involved with the community. There's something different about a club being built by the community and a club with a billionaire paying $300 million in a franchise fee and just showing up out of nowhere. There's different levels to that. And we're seeing that with the story of Wrexham and a story with Orlando City. Maybe soccer in this country doesn't have to grow so fast. You don't need $300 million right away. Maybe you can slowly build it with a pyramid and, and the money can trickle down and clubs can slowly grow. Maybe the culture needs more time. Maybe the slow growth would be better over the long term than this artificial inflated bubble that MLS created. Well, so, also when we say that it's growing fast, we're really only talking about MLS expanding its franchises. 150 clubs in the U.S. have failed in the last. I meant more years. towards infrastructure, right? They they yeah. can they're getting stadiums done, good training facilities because they're able to kind of like monopolize the 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 first division and get these guys to put 300 million dollars in. Um, but it's just inflating a bubble, right? Because yeah. you're not really creating a soccer culture. Maybe what it needs is actually some pyramid, some system that will incentivize communities to build a club and slowly get it to become something. Start with a high school statement, slowly grow, right? Yeah. Uh, and if you have a pyramid that you have the top division, which will, the top division will have investors. Let's be honest here. It will have, yeah. maybe yeah. not 300 million, but there will be big investors, right? Rocco Comiso, the guy that people put that conspiracy theory here at the chat, he was willing to put a lot of money. There's a lot of guys that would put a lot of money into that but you needed to build a system that would incentivize it to start from grassroots up it doesn't really have that um so it it the the coach the truth is um as much as people hate this and some people will talk about how mls is building their soccer culture i'll just argue that they're not building any soccer culture they're building a business they're making some money out of it but they're not building a soccer culture and that's simply not going to happen. It, it can keep going. Like it's just not going to go. It's um, an exclusionary thing. You're excluding everybody else from the, from the pyramid because there is no pyramid. Right. So yeah, and, if you opened it up and now an investor doesn't have 300 million, but they have 25 million. Now they go invest in New Mexico United, right. Or they invest in a, a USL two club from Knoxville, Tennessee, and they are willing to put in another 30, 40 million into it in order to get them into MLS. So now you're incentivizing a small club and now the possibility of promotion captures the imagination of the soccer fans in that area. And now, oh, we could maybe get up to MLS. That's the storyline that you can create. And sure, guys, some clubs will fail, right? It's not a perfect system. But reality is some clubs probably should. If you mismanage your club in MLS, there's no consequences for you. If you go down... You get relegated, let's say the Colorado Rapids or the Vancouver Whitecaps, some team like that, Sporting Kansas City. You get relegated and you don't have the management to be able to manage what that means for you. Then I honestly don't care that much if one or two clubs end up failing because overall it will strengthen the entire pyramid and it will bring in investors, smaller investors, they're not billionaires, into smaller clubs. Maybe a rich businessman in Knoxville, Tennessee wants to like get his club up into MLS, but he's not a billionaire. So he can't afford to buy into MLS. So he just invests 30, 40 million in, in his lower league, you know, team in USL. And then in, he tries to get up that way. And that creates interest storylines. We've talked about this so many times. Hope, yeah. fear, passion, something what to strive for. What I don't get is like, why, why are people afraid of a club folding and going bankrupt? 
Um, why are we afraid of that? One or two clubs. That's just bad management. There, there is ways, there is money in U.S. soccer to survive, right? Um, if there wasn't, MLS wouldn't survive, right? So there is money. Yeah. It's just, it just, it would just be more diluted, obviously, right? Instead of concentrated with MLS, it would be more diluted. What's the problem with something going bankrupt? If you, Pete, if you open a business, is there not a risk of you going bankrupt? If I open a business, there, there's always sure. a risk, right? Isn't this what the United States is about? You have businesses, entrepreneurship, you have many different business models, competition. Some make it, some don't make it, some thrive, some fail. I, I just don't get this uh, this need, right? Because, again, if you want to protect clubs that are built by communities and you want to keep them alive and they're... But why are we trying to just like fight? Why are we fighting so much for a business owned by a bunch of billionaires? Why are we protecting them so much? They don't need our protection. I think especially because most of those billionaires use their MLS team as a tax write off. Like a lot of them yeah. don't even care. I, I just team. I just don't get people that go out of their way. Um, they, they can argue maybe that they prefer not having promotion relegation because they don't want their club to get relegated. Okay. That's your argument. That's your selfish argument, but that's your argument. But a lot of the times them defending the, 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 the fact that a business model that is meant to just protect the rich owners. Why, why would you do that? I mean, unless you're one of the owners, why would you defend that? It doesn't really add up to me. But let's just move on from this. Otherwise, we're going to keep talking about this one. for We can probably do another episode covering this in the future, even though we've talked about it extensively. Done that several times. But yeah, I think it's there always was- good to t- keep the discussion going. Because I think that's part of our of our football culture, our soccer culture in America, is discussing the best way to grow the game here. And there's multiple ways to do it. But I think that pro-rel is a big one. Yeah, I, I think um, it would be kind of nice if um, the mainstream media of soccer, not I, I'm not saying they should advocate for pro-rel, but it would be nice to see them talk about it, discuss it. What are the benefits? Yeah. What's against it? Why not? Why shouldn't it happen? Why should it happen? Um, it's more just to discuss and generate ideas and, and people can discuss and, and maybe over the years, maybe over the next decade or so, implement different ideas to help the game grow here. But Pete, there was a discussion here on Twitter, I think it was last week, it was a few days ago, and it was like up to age 24, which is the current age of Christian Pulisic, who was better or who's, I mean, it's 100% hypothetical because one player's retire, right? Up to 24, who's better, Lendon Donovan or Christian Pulisic? And then there was this whole debate of like, oh, for club or country or just in general. Uh, and I think we can break it down to both ways. I think for club, it shouldn't even – for club, no, there's not even no debate. There's no debate. While Lendon Donovan barely played, I think, for Bayer Leverkusen and then was playing for the Galaxy in a time where MLS was far worse than it is now. Yeah, far he had worse. like 12 teams. Yeah, no, and, and and they were terrible, right? These 12 teams are worse than probably the worst teams nowadays, right? Yes. MLS. Yeah. So it was terrible. That's where he was playing. While Christian Pulisic was getting minutes for Dortmund, Christian Pulisic was winning a Champions League for Chelsea, performing, actually playing, had a very nice run with Chelsea when he came back from the lockdown. Uh, so Pulisic is playing in the best leagues in the world, the best teams in the against the best teams in the world. And sure, he has injury struggles and he was inconsistent. But he's shown flashes of talent and moments that at the club level, Lendon Donovan didn't do even in his peak. So no. to me right there, there's no discussion. Club level, Christian Pulisic by a landslide. Are we agree yeah. there? Yes. What about national team? Because then that's where people started to just 
um, you know, uh, heat up the debate, saying that for national team, it's Lendon, Lendon, Lendon. But when I look at Christian Pulisic's national team career so far, it's pretty darn good. He didn't play the 2018 World Cup, but in that cycle that we failed, he was literally the only bright spot. He was carrying that garbage team that we had. No offense yeah. to the garbage the team that we had. At but it age was a garbage 18, team. he was carrying them on his back. At age 18. Fair enough. Lyndon Donovan in 2002 was brilliant in the 2002 World Cup. Brilliant. Scoring the Dos Acero win against Mexico. Helping the United States. Not caring, but helping the United States get to the 2002 quarterfi- World Cup quarterfinal. Yeah. Uh, but then Donovan flopped in 2006 with the U.S. men's national team, right? They were terrible in the World Cup, including Lyndon Donovan. Pulisic only played one World Cup. In the World Cup Pulisic played in 2022, he was involved in all three of our goals, which is the same amount of goal involvement that Lyndon Donovan had in 2002. Yeah. Uh, I would argue that Pulisic's performance in the 2022 World Cup was pretty much the same as Lyndon Donovan, obviously in the macro level, right? We're not going to get into specifics, but overall productivity, performance, men at the match, I would argue it's the same level as Lyndon Donovan in 2002. Yeah, no, I agree. And he also has more goals and assists at age 24 for the national team than Donovan did. I don't know the exact numbers, but I saw it on Twitter. Somebody had done the math and they had pulled up the stats. I think he had like a third more goals than Donovan did at his age. Mm-hmm. Um, he uh, go- gets a goal or an assist almost every time he plays for the U S right. Or at least is heavily involved in the attacking moves. So he is Mr. America right now, captain America, right? He is the guy for this team. And Donovan was too, but I don't think Donovan's achieved people. When they think of people saying Donovan was better at the national team are remembering his entire career for the national team. So when Pulisic finishes his career, then you can compare them together. And I promise you Pulisic is going to beat Donovan and Dempsey's, I think it's 54 goals or 53 goals for the national team. As he's long as he's healthy, yes. As long as he stays healthy for another five, six years, because he's 24 now. So even if he only plays until he's 30, I think there's no reason to doubt that he will beat both of them. Well, Pulisic also came in clutch for the U.S. off the bench against Mexico right at home at the Dos Acero women. Came in, yeah. got us the goal, and then I think McKenney scored a second one after. Uh, Pulisic also came in clutch in the Nations League final against yeah. Mexico, drawing the yeah. penalty kick and hitting it up for 90 to finish it off. So I think Pulisic's career in the national team is very much underrated. And when they talk about Donovan, they're probably thinking of that Algeria goal in the 2010 World Cup, right? These remarkable sure. moments. And and to be fair, yes, Lennon Donovan was the face of the U.S. men's national team for pretty much a decade. And he was brilliant. And what he did in 2002 was simply amazing, right? Yeah. Um, and he had maybe like these Hollywood moments that people always remember, right? Yeah, Donovan. it creates emotions, right? About yeah, but so hard but I I just don't think there's a debate for club and country. Christian Pulisic is a better player than Donovan ever was already. We have never created a Christian Pulisic. We've never had anybody at his level, apart from maybe goalkeepers like Tim Howard or Brad Friedel. You could argue at their peak were similar to Pulisic's level. But outfield players, we've never had anybody as talented as Christian Pulisic. And people are going to pull up Clint Dempsey's one good year for Fulham at age 29 when he got 17 goals in the Premier League. Okay, that was at age 29. That was one good year. He spent a lot of his time playing in the championship or in the Premier League, but fighting around the you know, relegation zone, sometimes getting benched. I still think Pulisic's a better player than Dempsey ever was already. And it's not, to be honest, I don't think it's close. And I think Dempsey was a better player than Lyndon, actually. I think so, so too. I think so, so too. 
So I, I think people get caught up on like these specific moments and soccer is a bit more than one or two moments. But Landon has had many legendary moments for the U.S. men's national team. And then when they do this, but it, when you judge it in an unbiased perspective, there's no one that will argue that Pulisic's a better player than Donovan ever was. Um, and it's been quite noticeable from day one. So I understand the debate. I think people get caught on emotions and Landon is a U.S. men's national team legend and hero. But... Pulisic still probably has a good eight to 10 years in him for the U.S. men's national team. And when that's all said and done, I think people will realize how big the gap was between Pulisic and Landon, right? Yeah, I agree. Um, so I agree. is there anything else to add to this debate? I think it's not even a debate, in my opinion. No, it's it shouldn't be a debate. It shouldn't be, honestly. But okay, I'll let you wrap things up here. The episode is all set. Yeah, thanks for listening, guys. As always, if you can, go to Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, Google Podcasts, wherever you're listening to this. Give us a good review if you liked the show or a good rating at least. I think only Apple Podcasts allows you to give reviews, but at least give us a five-star rating if you enjoyed it. It helps other people to find the podcast. Thank you to everybody who has already given us reviews. We really appreciate it. And we'll see you next week.